Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Welcome to Total Skin Nerds. I'm Amy Risley, the CEO of SkinFix and a first-rate skin nerd myself. On this episode, my guest is Dr. Nicholas Paracone, a board-certified dermatologist and nutrition specialist and best-selling author of a number of books about anti-aging and achieving clear, wrinkle-free skin. Dr. Paracone is an icon, a fighter, a kind of prophet, really, for seeing and proving connections between skin and diet in ways that were previously considered nonsense. He's also a pioneer in discovering and solving dermatological issues related to inflammation. That huge discovery will be our main area of focus today. Even though Dr. Paracone is best known for his books and his product line, he's a scientist at heart. As you're about to hear, he practices like one, and he talks like one too. Our interview is pretty dense with science, but I also think it's extremely helpful as Dr. Paracone tells a far deeper and more research-based story about the anti-inflammation movement than most practitioners can. He's also working on something new that he thinks might change your life. Stick with me, nerds. Don't go away. So we are here today on Total Skin Nerds with Dr. Nicholas Paracone, who we're all sort of fangirling about having him here today because he is really an exceptional, exceptional pioneer in the medical field, in the nutritional field, in the skincare field, and we're so excited to have you. Um, one of the quotes that I read is that one of your professors said to you at one point, you can spot a pioneer by the arrows in his back. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me here. It's, You're uh, it's really exciting to be talking to you and all the, all the listeners uh, that will uh, access this. But it really uh, started for me as a medical student, and I was looking under the microscope. There's a, there's a course we have to take. It's called histopathology. And so it looks at disease processes under a microscope, so greatly magnified. As a, and then, of course, there's the clinical side of it, seeing patients and just looking at them and looking at symptoms and lab results. And I was looking at the squamous cell cancer, this tumor, and uh, there was a lot of inflammation around the, around the neoplasm. And the way we uh, stain tissue when we're looking at samples, um, uh, the inflammatory cells take up a lot of the blue stain, so it looks like blue confetti around the tumor. And um, I looked at that and said, that's pretty interesting. And I talked to the professor and I said, is it possible that the inflammatory process is somehow mediating or driving the results here? And it was kind of like a kind of a cursory answer, like, no, no, that's just, you know, that is the immune system reacting. And I thought, gee, I, I didn't think the immune system reacted because the tumor tend to bypass. So I, I kept that in mind, and we started looking at um, tissue samples of, of um, arteries and atherosclerosis, and there's inflammatory infiltrate in, in the um, muscular part of the artery. And, and looking at sections of brain with Alzheimer's, there's infl- it just, just went everywhere. They, they understand that the inflammation is part of a reaction to disease, but they right. didn't think about inflammation as perhaps you know, a, a center or perhaps driving the, the process forward. Right. And so um, when I started, then another thing that was interesting, fine, when I was doing my internship in pediatrics, they were doing a study at the time looking at um, asthma in children. Mm-hmm. And um, it was an interesting study. The children were given vitamin C supplements. And it decreased the incidence of their asthma attacks, or what we call reactive airway disease, by about 50%. Wow. And that was really significant. But it also cued me in that, hey, um, it's an inflammatory process, so vitamin C must be acting as an anti-inflammatory. So it, up until that point, did people understand that the mode of action of vitamin C was anti-inflammatory? Well, I said antioxidant, but that's okay. you know that's kind of a broader term. Right. Um, and so I was very, I was very focused on the inflammatory side of, of all that. Okay. Then I'm um, doing my dermatology residency. Once again, we studied tissue, skin, uh, under the microscope, and you know it makes sense that skin would have inflammation in it because it's, it is the interface between us and our environment. Yes. But it's interesting looking at uh, tissue uh, of, of, of adults, older adults, without any pathology there, without any lesion, there was this generalized inflammation. I said, that's crazy. This is just aged skin and it's inflamed. You know, what is, what's going on here? And of course, young skin has no inflammation unless there's some pathology present. 
And that's where I really started saying, okay, I think I understand what's going on. Um, but it was interesting. I said, okay, well, I understand skin to some extent because it is, it protects us. It's the interface. But what about the internal organs? I mean, what's going on in the arteries? What's going on in the heart? What's going on in the liver? And um, being a nutritionist, I said, well, what do we do four or five times a day? We eat. So I wanted to look at the relationship between foods and an inflammatory load. Now, at that time, it wasn't that easy because they didn't have access to, like, C-reactive protein, a, a, a test. What but, is the definition of a C-reactive okay. protein? So it's a protein that's probably produced by the liver, and it, 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 it's produced in uh, response to general inflammation. Okay. And so it's measurable by a simple lab test. And so you want to check C-reactive protein because C-reactive protein is extremely predictive of things like cardiovascular disease. If you have high C-reactive protein, or it's also indicative of a, a focus of inflammation, for example, if you have prostitutes or something, C-reactive protein, of course, it's high if you have autoimmune disease. And it's a way to follow and also to search for certain diseases. But anyway, it's interesting that once I started looking at it and things were refined, there was a direct relationship between systemic inflammation and the foods we're eating. So certain foods are highly pro-inflammatory. Yes. Other foods are anti-inflammatory. And those foods that are anti-inflammatory uh, contain a good amount of either antioxidants or, or polyphenols. So I started looking at the relationship between diet and inflammation, systemic inflammation, and came up with the anti-inflammatory diet. It consisted, of course, of just a lot of salmon, uh, fresh salads, um, mixed berries, watercress, water, water really interesting. Yes, all of those good things, um, and uh, of course, um, drinking a lot of pure water too. Right, water is important. Uh, gotcha. Okay, Dr. Perkin, what year was it that you made your first investigation into anti-inflammation? Uh, let me think. I was um, well. Once I had the microscopic evidence as a medical student, that was like nineteen. I'm trying to think, I started med school in '79, but I accelerated my course. So I graduated in three years. Three years, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I after my doing an English major undergrad, I just wanted. Yeah, well, I was the only one who I could read. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess about 1980, 1981, I made those of the microscope. Okay. And then went on. I did my pediatrics internship. That was 1982 to 83, and then derm. So I'd say, while well, I was doing my derm residency, I started playing with things because. I wanted to see, I could create inflammation in the skin, um, and I had enough models because people would be coming in for, for light therapy, for psoriasis and other things, okay. and they'd have, they'd have redness, erythema, which is kind of a mild sunburn. And I could then take anti-inflammatories and apply it to the skin and see if it would relieve it, and that was my first real investigation wow. looking at that. So that was probably 1983, 84, 85, something like okay. that. So just to take a quick step back, yes. you were saying the young skin does not have inflammation unless there are pathogens present. So unless there's a condition, I imagine, like an eczema or psoriasis exactly. or potentially even an acne where you've got an inflammatory condition. But when do we start to see inflammation in the skin? So that's a good, good question. I think a lot of it has to do with the individual. Okay. Um, people who have a genetic propensity for, <clears throat> for longevity tend to have fairly low, low inflammatory processes in their body systemically. And of course, environmental issues too, and stress and diet, and a whole, you know, it's just a, a whole, so many variables. Yes. But certainly, I, when I was looking at these tissue samples, um, where I saw inflammation was probably in those people between starting around 50, 55, and then up. <clears throat> it's a process that happens with the aging, uh, with the whole aging system. And so I continued looking at all of this, and then, okay, so I put people on the anti-inflammatory and then tested. And if we take someone and we put them on the anti, we test them first and take a C-reactive protein, then put them on the anti-inflammatory diet, within a very short period of time, days or maybe a week or two weeks maximum, precipitous decline in C-reactive protein. And what I also noticed when I put people on the anti-inflammatory diet, within a matter of a couple of days, um, their skin became extremely radiant. They looked very healthy because the skin is a perfect barometer about what's going on inside of us. Yes. And when you drop inflammation systemically, the skin benefits. And that's for a number of reasons. Um, uh, metabolism, the mitochondria are working better, a microcirculation is working better, and so you have this beautiful radiance. And so I use that as a method to get people motivated because <clears throat> when you sit and talk to a patient and say, you know, I'd like you to eat in a certain way to decrease your risk of heart disease or breast cancer, whatever, 
that means they'd have to carry around this fear with them, okay? Yes. You, know, I, I wanna, you don't want to think negatively. So if I can say, look, you will look incredibly young, younger in just a few days of doing this, then it motivates them. Absolutely. It's talking about something positive. And doesn't so, want to look younger in so three kinda, days. You know, <laughs> right, you can look younger in three days. We used to call our, 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 our face lift in a fridge. Yes, I mean, it's great. What I love about you and your theories, most of all, I think, I'm a big believer in functional medicine and was able to resolve my own eczema and asthma and my daughter's just by going gluten and dairy-free and taking high doses of vitamin C. I'm a huge believer in functional medicine. Obviously, I know nothing compared to you, but what I love about you and your theories is that you sell skincare and yet you talk about diet first and foremost and you know as a primary way and and i love as well in your pbs series about how you talk about how it's you know some it's more accessible you know not everyone can buy a 200 dollars topical product and topicals can obviously aid and be really helpful but when you go through your sort of your hierarchy it's let's start with an anti-inflammatory diet and then let's look at supplements that can support and then you know, the topicals as well are extremely helpful. Yeah, that should certainly be the hierarchy. Um, mm. The <clears throat> When you eat the anti-inflammatory diet, you know, there's all these collateral benefits. Right. You know, in, in every organ system. So it's very, very important. And beauty really is from the inside out. But certainly I proved with my clinical studies that when you put an anti-inflammatory on the skin uh, that is non-irritating with certain, we call um, uh, basically uh, penetration enhancers, you can get a tremendous effect on the skin, but you know having this beautiful skin is not going to decrease your risk of cardiovascular disease right. or cancer and all of the rest unless it's a skin cancer. So that is the most important thing. That's what I talked about. In many interviews I had, they said, well, why, you, know, you, you have a skincare company. Why are you talking about this? I said, because I'm a nutrition, I'm a physician, and this is probably the most important thing that you can do. Are you one of the few nutritionists who's also a dermatologist? Are there many? Very few, if, if any. I've never haven't met a dermatologist who has a master's in nutrition. I have either. never met one either right. before meeting you. Yeah, so <laughs> it's interesting. Reading your, your books. Um, it's important that we pay attention to our own bodies because you know we have this genetic individuality. Yes. And uh, we call it biochemical individuality. So that you may need a certain nutrient. 25 times higher than the person sitting next to you. Okay. Or you may have a great sensitivity because of your history of your immune system, a number of things. So pay attention to your own. But what we're trying to do is, is, is basically lay out a map for someone to navigate. And then with, for the finer things, then you've got your own issues to contend with. Okay. And that's, that's what I'd like to see and what I'd like to do with, with people. But there's some new, new areas that are very interesting and in how to activate um, the genes that control aging, like the sirtuins okay. and all that. But it really, um, and, and stem cells, are pre stem cells are preserved when you have an anti-inflammatory diet. Okay. Interesting. They really are preserved. One of the things that I found fascinating about nutrigenetics is that it sounds like what you're saying is that by eating a certain way, you can actually reprogram your genetics. So does that mean, and, and then that of your children potentially and your grandchildren, exactly. you can mm -hmm. sort of change the path of a right. family. So if a family has an incidence of psoriasis, as an example, um, would you, by changing your diet, be able to actually change that in your family and okay. change the future of, of your family suffering. I, I that certainly disease. think that you could you could mitigate some of that. Um, psoriasis is um, a pro-inflammatory disease that is is certainly somewhat genetic. Okay, but by following an anti-inflammatory diet and and, another, and and getting the right form of nutrients, you suppress those genes that would basically start this inflammatory cascade and, and start making the skin just basically replicate faster. And so everybody that was in my practice or when I was doing a residency would benefit from the anti-inflammatory diet. D regardless of what they were suffering from? What? Regardless. They would always do better and they would respond better to traditional medicines wow. as well. So the, the, you know, our goal is to obviously <clears throat> make people healthy, but also unfortunately many people are, are, are born with this this history, family history. Another thing too in terms of longevity, I mean, these epigenetic changes that you make with good diet can't be passed on to your children, or even your grandchildren. And is it that, I'm just making this up, but could, 
issues be hereditary because of the way families traditionally eat? Certainly, it would. It could amplify. Okay. You know, any issues that that may be, may be there that, that haven't been expressed. So I, I just can't emphasize the importance enough of, of just you know what we're doing in terms of that, but lifestyle too. And it, and it's it's amazing when you get into it and and we start talking about it because we always talked about you know anti-inflammatory diet, supplements, topicals, but then also moderate exercise. Yes. And then stress relief. You know, if you're if you're religious, prayer, uh, meditation is amazing. Yoga, Tai Chi, all that. And there's, and there's really hard evidence now that something as simple as meditation can repair your mitochondria. And you know, the mitochondria they have little oval things, and there's like little lines. They're called cristae, yes. Yes. and those cristae get disrupted, and that's where energy production takes place. Mitochondria is the basic, you know, energy production in our cells. Okay. And <clears throat> so. If you need to repair your body, you need to have energy. And so if the mitochondria is not functioning correctly, you don't have the energetic means to do repair. Okay. What is the quote from the nutritionist you, you talk about often, um, which is that a day without protein is a day that we age so faster? Del, that was Adele Davis, that quote, and I, and I really liked I really enjoyed her uh, reading, and she got me interested in before I formally studied nutrition and, and I brought her information with me to med school so I can get in arguments with my professors about treatment of different things which of course they thought was ridiculous I but. love it yeah and just let's talk a minute about how tough it was in the beginning when you sort of started to create these links between different disease states and inflammation and started talking about how inflammation was causing the disease and not the other way around why was there such resistance to this notion well first of all you know nutrition is not really taught in medical school. You could probably take a, an elective if you have time. And it was very traditional type nutrition, just categories of foods to eat and how many calories you need and what's the best diet if you have certain pathology. But nothing really interesting like Adele Davis, right. who would, was, was really just treating people nutritionally for some pretty wild things that seemed to work. And this was when? When was she practicing? Yeah, okay, so this, when I was going through med school, I started in 1979. Okay. And, um, and I started doing the basic sciences, and you know, I read all Linus Pauling's work and would be taking my oncology courses, saying, well, why aren't we trying um, this? And, oh, no, no, we're, it, we tried that at the Mayo Clinic, and I look it up, and what they did is they gave these trials after people had been through chemo. They had no immune system left. Oh, my god. Or they were not following the protocol. I mean... Linus Pauling specifically said you meet, need to do intravenous vitamin C at very high levels, otherwise it just your kidney just clears it and you just don't get the peak levels that you need for uh, to get the, the therapeutic effects. And that was to treat cancer. Was treat cancer, theory. yeah, there's bowel cancer. So I said, well, what's the traditional treatment? It was 5-fluorouracil. And I said, okay, tell me about, right, this is me and a professor, they just love me there, and uh, in class. And they said, okay, so if we have this patient with bowel cancer at a certain stage and you give them 5-FU, how much more life do we give them? He said, we can give them four to six months. I said, okay, could you tell me what the side effects are? Well, the side effects were horrible. You mm -hmm. know, nausea, vomiting, hair loss, fatigue, all of that. So you're not really giving them any time at all. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Linus Pauling with the vitamin C therapy could give them a year to two years Wow. And they felt really good. Good you know, quality of life. Good quality of life. With no side effects. It so that, seems you know, like that a was it. I realized that it was a, it was a just really tough to, they're not going to change the way they think, and physicians are still. And, and my patients would come to me and said, gee, my doctor told me not to take any vitamins. They're useless and to take a one a day. And I said, well, it's not true. I mean, there's just a lot of literature. But, they, you know, with all due respect, doctors are busy. They only read the journals that they have to read, and those right. journals are not nutritionally oriented. Okay. And so there's this perpetuation. But now with, you know, people who have the, you know, the, the worldwide net, then they could do their own research, and yeah. there's a lot of people talking about it. Plus things have changed because we've shown that we can make a difference. With, right. With and things. there's people leveraging naturopathy and functional exactly. medicine yeah. when they're going through now, cancer good. treatments. But is vitamin C used now as a protocol in treating cancer? And well, I'm hoping it is. Certainly okay. the, the journal, uh, New England Journal of Medicine, when they talked about it, uh, was advocating in certain instances to use that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I do think it's a, you know, it might be one. But you know, there's one always comes down to economics, too. Um, right. If you're a pharmaceutical company, you're not going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a study if you don't own it. 
Right. So it's a, and that, if it's not benefiting the sales of your particular product. Right, so that research product. doesn't really go on. It's hard to get grants, and, and uh, there are a lot of factors, but it always comes down to economics, unfortunately. Right. Well, I mean, I think medicine has a lot um, to credit you for in pushing forward with these theories, and I know all of us do in the sense that we've all benefited from learning about the anti-inflammatory diet and reversing some of the things that we did to ourselves <laughs> in sure our decades, right. yes, yes. eating lots and lots of carbs and being really fat and unhappy. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so what happens when we, let's you said, if you take in um, high glycemic load or high glycemic diet, yes. um, blood sugar goes up and then insulin goes up. When insulin goes up, um, there are changes on a cellular level and certain transcription factors like NF-kappa B go to the uh, DNA and then activate production of, of about, God, dozens if not a hundred pro-inflammatory cytokines, which are little proteins. And same thing if you then eat a bunch of Brussels sprouts or something, you can then activate um, another transcription factor, NRF2, that goes and turns and, and attaches to the antioxidant response element of the DNA. and okay. then puts out maybe 100 anti-inflammatory proteins like phase two proteins. Okay. So we can really use that knowledge of nutrition to basically tell our gene pool, let's suppress the, these genes, let's, let's <clears throat> enhance the expression of these genes and have a really profound effect on our health and longevity. So let's talk about sugar. Um, is sugar really poison. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is because, yeah. um, you know, nothing tastes better than sugar. No, this <laughs> right? is true. It's it addictive. Does. It's addictive. So yes, don't forget this thing. So sugar, increase in blood sugar, increase you know, pulse of insulin, right. pro-inflammatory cytokines start floating through your body. So you're going to pop up with acne, headaches, um, and a whole host of things. And also, you know, cancer is a bigger risk when you're taking in a lot right. of sugar. What happens when you're you have an insulin resistance? They really increase your risk for for everything. Okay? Really, really do because okay. yeah, insulin resistance. So that's part of the metabolic syndrome, and the metabolic syndrome is you know really the precursor of most Western diseases. And t tell us just for laymen like myself, what is me metabolic syndrome? Metabolic syndrome is just a, a clustering of of symptoms and also lab studies. So okay. insulin resistance, glucose problems central obesity, yes. and you go through, there's a list. Body hair, those kinds of things. All that. And then okay. um, when you have that, then you can move toward type 2 diabetes more easily, and okay. then a lot of other issues. Cardiovascular disease is associated with oh, metabolic wow. syndrome. And so it's exciting because metabolic syndrome is correctable with a good diet, moderate exercise. And now, um, and the study was just completed in India looking at hydrogen water. Ah, so let's talk about hydrogen water. Okay, so hydrogen water is nothing more than you take a good source of water. Yes. And then you influ infuse nitro uh, hydrogen gas into the water. Okay. It doesn't bubble. It's not fizzy, okay? And Does it make it more alkaline? Is it anything to no. do with alkalinity? No. Nothing okay. with alkalinity. Okay. okay. It could be neutral pH water, maybe okay. just a little bit more alkaline. But hydrogen is now in the water. And hydrogen dissolves. There's a, there's a, um, there's a formula about if you take different gases and how much can will actually uh, be solubilized in the, in the water, will stay in the water. So hydrogen at, <clears throat> you know, at sea level, at normal temperatures, uh, normally you can get like 1.2 to 1.4 parts per million into the water without adding any pressure or anything like that. And then, and if you then drink that water, um, you get a lot of benefits. Now, I was very skeptical because I love biochemistry. And for something to have activity in the body, it's got to do something. It's got to interact with the molecules in the cell. Okay. And so there's something called a polar molecule. Polar molecule means there's more of a positive charge on one side and negative charge on the other. And those are the kind of molecules that interact in, inside the body and hit cer certain triggers like activating transcription factors or other things. And hydrogen is a nonpolar molecule. Okay. I thought, this is inert. How could this be? So when I read the article in uh, Nature Medicine, and I saw these results, I said, well, it's got to be working by a some mechanism, but what's the mechanism? And it doesn't have to, because we have a series of enzymes in our body called hydrogenases. Okay. And so, you know, hydrogen exists in nature not as a single atom. It's paired with another hydrogen. So it's called dihydrogen, H2. 
So when you get H2 gas and you're putting it in, it's, it's H2, you're putting it in the water. Okay. You have to seal it up. It has to be done correctly. You put it in glass. It goes, molecules, such a tiny molecule goes right through glass. You're kidding. No. Nope. That's why it has to be in metal cans? That's why it's in aluminum cans. Okay. And you want to put a polymer in there to protect the aluminum from the hydrogen because it could also activate changes in, in the aluminum. And, you know, after reading the literature, and, and this has been big in Japan for th- 30 years. Hydrogen water? Hydrogen water, yes. Wow. Never left there, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. In fact, I actually went to Tokyo, met with some scientists, met with oh, some wow. people who were doing it and to find out more about it. And then they came to here because I was so impressed with um, what the results could be based on some of the preliminary research. Okay. Because, so, okay, I'm, I'm trying to get people to change their diet yes. in, in a certain way and in moderate exercise. These, but these things mean some self-discipline and also to kind of stay on a pretty narrow path. But it seemed like if they're drinking hydrogen, many of these things can occur. Despite their diet? Despite not being perfect. You're kidding. No. So no, my not, 16-year-old not, daughter can drink the hydrogen water and take care of all the rest of the well, I think it, I think it could help tremendously. Yeah. So, but once again, the parameters are it's a tiny molecule. It diffuses right through glass or plastic. Okay. Uh, had to be in aluminum. Aluminum had to be coated with polymer so that it wouldn't react with that. Okay. Had to be made up and sealed very quickly. Okay. Then you have to have a shelf life because if you get it out, and even if you're a conscientious manufacturer and your packaging isn't correct, Yes. I measure these packages, like little pouches and stuff, and sometimes there's zero in there or, or 0.2. By the time it's... Right, by the time they do it. So, And people are not going to try one hydrogen water, and if there's nothing in it, they say, I don't see any benefits. They're not going to go looking for another brand. It's over with for hydrogen. Yeah, exactly. This is too important for that to happen. So okay. I said, okay. So I decided, okay, I'm going to determine through a study of my own. Yes. Because in the past, I've tried to reproduce certain studies, and I had about a 50% hit rate. I don't know why that is, but there are different reasons for that. So I wanted to see, because one of the things they were professing in Japan is that's an energy drink. Because Hmm. you do feel energy when you drink hydrogen. Because they gave me a couple of cans when they came to my office, and I drank them down, and I felt the difference. So what I did is I did it again with my exercise. I've been exercising since I was 14, and I know my exercise program. And as I get older, I know what my capabilities are, and I usually go all out, but within a fairly short period of time, 40 minutes maximum, usually 30 minutes, and I'm tired. I can't do anymore. Yeah. So I took the hydrogen water. When I finished up, I could have done another workout after my workout. Wow. And I'm not a placebo kind of person. I said, okay, if this is real, I want to measure it. So I talked to a colleague of me named uh, uh, Peter Puglesi, brilliant, brilliant doctor. And he said, okay, let's measure NADH. Now, NADH is an enzyme that's extremely important in energy production in the mitochondria. Okay. And so, interesting thing about NADH, well, it comes in a pair. There's NADH, which is a reduced form. It has a hydrogen stuck to it. And then there's without it, and it's called NAD+. Okay. Okay, so NADH reduced or NAD+. NADH can be measured in the body because it fluoresces. If you hit it with a certain frequency of light, which happens to be an ultraviolet frequency, about 432 nanometers, it will then pulse and then send a signal back. Wow. So we can put like a little LED on someone's skin, and with the right computer and the receptors looking at the pulse back, go to the computer and then, then compute in a certain way the amount of NADH that is there. So we did that as baseline. Simple, non, non-invasive. Very cool. I sit them down, put this little strap on with the LED and turn it on and then measure baseline. And then we gave them regular water because we needed a control and it was in the same cans and everything and did that. And they actually got a slight increase in NADH just drinking regular water. So that's why People do well by just staying well hydrated. Okay. But But not as much of an increase as No. Then when we did the hydrogen water, we could do this in real time, which is unique. And within two minutes, they started upregulating NADH. Two minutes. So figure how tiny this molecule is. You drink it down. It's in your throat, in your esophagus, into your stomach. Within two minutes, it's now diffused into the skin. Does it just permeate all of the everything, organs? Everything. It's it so goes tiny. goes straight to the skin? It goes right through the cell plasma. The membrane wow. goes through the nuclear membrane, blood-brain barrier. What? Bam. It just sends it out there. Wow. And then at the end of 15 minutes, most of the subjects, like 90%, increased their NADH by 12.5%, which is a huge number. The on end of two minutes. At the end of 15 minutes. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. They have 12% increase 12% in increase NADH. On average. So how would that help somebody with a metabolic syndrome or okay, so, inflammation mm, in their body? So first of all, that proved to me that we're, we're, we're making energy because NADH is the energy molecule. You know, 
everybody talks about ATP, but what makes ATP is hydrogen, okay? <laughs> hydrogen is passed on from the NADH and becomes NAD and then cycles around and hands another hydrogen with an electron on and it keeps on going. I said, okay, I can quantify this now. NADH is the energy molecule. I can see here's the, here's the graphs. We have this statistician look at it. This is real. So that was part of it. Now, getting back to rewinding the metabolic syndrome, because that was just a pure energy type of thing. Metabolic, just to give you more energy to work out longer. Work out longer, but also repair your cells, okay. do whatever you need to do. But on the metabolic side, it was... <clears throat> so I talked a little bit about a study that was just done in India. It hasn't been published yet. Yes. All the subjects um, reversed, f I think, four out of five items on the metabolic syndrome Wow. by drinking hydrogen water, and they did this over a period of two to three months. Whoa. So if you stop and think, and I don't know when it's going to be published after talk to the authors, but if you stop and think, and the numbers were pretty good. They had a good number of subjects in the study, so it's pretty accurate. If we can reverse the metabolic syndrome, which is the precursor of most Western diseases, then it seems to me just doing like a little back-of-the-envelope computation of, of diseases, and uh, if we can reverse the metabolic syndrome, then we can perhaps stop right here before you get to the downstream of the cardiovascular problems, cognitive problems, all the things that go along with metabolic syndrome. And that means the savings, healthcare savings, could be a third or a half wow. on a national level, which could be huge amounts of money, not to mention human suffering. Amazing. In a, something with a water with hydrogen, which is non-toxic. And so how often would you have to drink this water? Well, most of the studies were done with one milligram of hydrogen, which means if you used um, the cans I'm using, uh, they're eight-ounce cans, okay. and they have 0.4 parts per million, so you have to do three a day. Three a day. To be at 1.2 milligrams of hydrogen. Okay. Um, and that's what all the studies are using. Okay, you don't want to go below that. Maybe even one part per million is okay, but below that at the end of the day. But this is still new. I mean, no one's done enough. But you know that in one study that the hydrogen water decreased cholesterol more than statins did. Whoa. You know, and uh, and this is all published stuff. It's not new, despite the dietitian here in New York somewhere that claims that there's no evidence. And so this is really important. This is amazing. It's really, really important, and we can do this. And so not only are you drinking water, which you need to drink anyway, that we need to hydrate, and you're giving yourself energy, and you're probably feeling better, and you're mitigating some of the other sins that you may commit in your diet if you're not following strictly an anti-inflammatory diet. But on top of all of that, there's evidence that it helps to reverse yeah. symptoms of metabolic uh, syndrome, yeah. inflammation. At the end of the day, oh, I drank all that hydrogen water for two years and found, you know, it's, there's no downside here. Yeah. And that's what I was up against too with the, the diet and inflammation and all of that, you know, the naysayers. And, you know, time's really important here. I mean, it is, talking it about is. health. So, yeah. and of course it's an anti-inflammatory. Right. Powerful anti-inflammatory. So and just like any other anti-inflammatory, like the diet, within drinking hydrogen water in a few days, you get this radiance to your skin. Okay. Because it just... I mean, just, we're going on Amazon immediately, okay. and yeah. we're ordering yeah. it up. And I love it because it gets rid of my brain fog in the morning. Really? <laughs> really does. It's great for travel. People I give it to for travel fatigue. Okay. See, when you're flying, the cabin's only pressurized to about the equivalent of 9,000 feet elevation. Right. So really, that's kind of... You're up there. Okay? And uh, so I kind of like a little bit of a hypoxia there. And then when you come and down... And hypoxia is just a lack of oxygen to the oxygen, brain? yeah. Okay. The cells aren't working that well. But you come down, and then my colleagues argue, yeah, but you come down, and if we measure your blood oxygen with a little sensor, within about 5, 10 minutes, you're right back where you where you should be. Okay? You're not... I said, yeah, but I think that's, that's, that's the blood oxygen. But what about on a cellular level inside the mitochondria? And so when people wow. drink this... They really get over their travel fatigue fast. So you do one before you get on the plane. Okay. And then you do another cup, too, when you land and have people going back and forth, patients by Dubai on a weekend. They totally change these things because it gets rid of travel fatigue. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially those long haul. I'm going to Tokyo in March with my daughter. I mean, it's yeah, going to be do. a long trip. And the nice thing about Tokyo, you can buy hydrogen water. Well, that's what I'm anywhere. thinking. All when right, I get yes. there, I don't have to bring it. I can buy it when I get buy there. When you get there. So are you the only one that's selling it here in the U.S.? No, actually, there's there's some there's some um, products that are out there. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, the ones I looked at so far seem to have substandard after a few months. The drug stability levels. isn't there. But they're getting it. People are getting there. And look, 
we want to have more than one brand out there because we want everybody to have access to it. I love that about you. I do love that about every PBS speech. You talk about accessibility and you want to get as many people healthy as possible. Exactly. And I think that's yeah. just... Yeah. I mean, like anybody working in this area, we're all in the same team. Yeah, you know, yeah. We have to get it out there. So All boats rise. Let's I'm get trying, people yeah, I'm trying healthy. to get it out there. It's um, not easy to get distribution. Cause okay. No one Nobody knows about it yet. Sell. But I just completed doing a PBS special. Oh, cool. With a, a great friend of mine. His name is Burt Wolf. I don't know if you've ever seen him. He's done travel stuff. No, a lot no. of it. Great guy. We did a two-part series on water in general, starting way back. You know, we went to the, you know, Rome and looked at the aqueducts and all that. Okay. And then to Lourdes, France, and looked at the miracle waters. It has higher levels of hydrogen, by the way. The miracle waters in France. Yeah. And, Whoa. Um, and we go right, and then we, so cool. and we talked about some of the studies. We had the head of the Hydrogen Water Foundation talking about some of the interest in and then, of course, um, so that'll be rolling out pretty soon to like 350 PBS stations. It's two parts. A lot of it just general water and then about 30 minutes about hydrogen. Okay. Hydrogen Is there any way, I bought something the other day because I was reading about alkalinity and having your water at the right pH level. In fact, I think my colleague's husband had me turned on to that for a while. And so I bought something that was like a little dropper bottle. It almost looked like a little Paracum product that you could drop in your water to make it more alkaline. Is that something you could do with hydrogen just to make it more portable? Well, actually there is. Um, there are hydrogen tablets. Okay. Okay. And it's a magnesium form. And I actually have those on my website along with the uh, cans of hydrogen water. Oh, cool. And you drop the tablet in the water and it foams up. And, and then when it's cloudy, I usually drink it when it's cloudy because okay. that's a good level. Tastes a little bit magnesium-y, uh, but it's certainly great if you're traveling. You keep a little bottle of hydrogen tablets with you. And I like it, but I like ready to drink, too. I'm, so I'm doing, yeah. I'm doing both. Great. All right. Well, we're going to take a look. One thing I wanted to touch on quickly, I think partly because I'm just a huge um, lover of massage, I think all of us are, is there was... Um, some stuff that we read about, you talk about the benefits of touch and massage to mm -hmm. release neuropeptides. So I think, first of all, let's t tell us a bit about what is a neuropeptide and then what is it with this link? Because it was really quite interesting okay. to us. That's yeah, a good question. Um, you know, neuropeptides are found in the brain. That's why they're called neuropeptides. Right. And, they're, and, they're, and they're different than the neurotransmitters like serotonin or norepinephrine or, you know, the others. Um, and they're the fine-tuners. They fine-tune the response of the neurons in terms of communication. Okay. And <clears throat> one thing I came across while I was in med school, so we're taking all these courses simultaneously. Yes. And um, we studied embryology. And the body's made up of just three levels of tissue. All of our, And the same level of tissue called the ectoderm makes the brain and the skin. Wow. So when, we, when I was doing my psych rotation... I noticed that people are taking psychoactive medications. You see changes in their skin. What kind of changes? Well, some some good. Okay. Sometimes not good, but okay. basically they were changing. I said, why is that? Well, because they both come from the ectoderm, and I call it the brain-beauty connection. Yes. So if it's active in the brain, it's going to have activity in the skin. So then I surmise if that's true, then are there receptors for neuropeptides in the skin? Because if there are receptors present, then we can take these neuropeptides have them synthesized, put it on skin, and get benefits. And sure enough, we found out, yes, there are receptors for neuropeptides in the skin because it's just formed from the same level of tissue. Wow. So that kind of put me on this quest. And before I even did neuropeptides, uh, there was a substance called dimethyl aminoethanol, DMAE for short. Yes. And it was a, actually a prescription medication in the 50s and 60s. But then the FDA did this purge. If there wasn't enough research, no matter how effective it seemed, they pulled it off the market. So DME then ended up in the health food stores as for cognitive enhancement capsules. And I said, hmm, that's interesting, because I'm interested in that for many reasons. Could be anti-inflammatory, it could be a penetration enhancer. So I started working with DMAE in certain solutions and suspensions and found that it has some really neat effects. And that if you if you did half of a patient's face with this with the uh, lotion and DMAE, you'd get beautiful radiance. The pores would get tighter, and it would also cause a lifting act, a lifting action. Maybe I was wrong about the mechanism, but DMAE is a precursor of a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. Okay. And acetylcholine is a little messenger between the the motor nerves and the muscle. So it ends with a little bulb and it squirts them, and then the muscle contracts. 
And as we get older, there's less, and so we tend to sag. And so you can take DMA orally and, and get some increased body tone. But you can also put it on topically, and it worked. And so that's where I came up with this brain-beauty connection. And I said, okay, now I'm going to test neuropeptides. And so neuropeptides have different actions depending on what neuropeptide it is. Okay. But one of them was anti-inflammatory. Affects circulation, affected a number of things. So our neuropeptide products rolled out. But DMA is still like this. And the important thing to hear about all of this is that acetylcholine, the neurotransmitter, repairs mitochondria. Wow. And so DMA was working on all these different levels. Anti-inflammatory, penetration enhancer, um, perhaps increased acetylcholine, even in skin cells, and that would repair mitochondria and give you more youthful look. So DMA has like been part of my my <clears throat> my formulations, and and we still believe in it. But this acetylcholine is also found in one of our cranial nerves called the vagus nerve. The vagus and, nerve, I love that. Okay, <laughs> is and that it, the and, pleasure nerve? <laughs> well, well it, it it's it's the longest cranial nerve in our body and it okay. goes all over innervating all different organ systems because okay. this is the rest and digest mechanism ah, okay. vagus nerve is activated so when you go and you sit down and you pray or you're doing meditation or you're doing your yoga and you're in the zone your vagus nerve is activated and it's squirting out acetylcholine and repairing your mitochondria wow so how does the how does how does this all help you so meditation yoga massage anything acetylcholine connection and then repair of mitochondria youth health oh my gosh so it's so much more than just loosening your tight muscles exactly. it's doing something and same thing with massage you go into relaxation mode and you stimulate your rest and digest acetylcholine floods your cells because these these little nerve endings. So. I love it even more. Tell me though, what is the ingredient? How do you create a neuropeptide for a topical? Well, you have to be a little crazy and go have it synthesized. Okay. And it was enormously expensive. Right. Uh, so it was about thirty thousand dollars a kilo. Holy. And uh, so I, I had it made up because I wanted to do the studies, and um, <clears throat> and I had gave it out to employees in my company to see how it worked. But it wasn't viable to be a product because for it to be profitable, we would have to charge about $650 an ounce. And so I, I didn't go to market. But then I met with the president of, um, of uh, Neiman Marcus, and we're sitting in his office. And he said something like, his name was Bert. Dr. Pericone, why don't you like us? I said, what are you, what are you talking <laughs> about? He said, well, your products aren't here. I said, well, we're a growing company. And he's just shaking his Head and then he said, you know, we're looking for products. He said, do you have anything you haven't really released? I said, well, I started talking about neuropeptides. I said, but they're prohibitively expensive. He said, well, what, what would the retail price be? I said, I think about $650 for a jar. He said, we're selling stuff for $1,000 a jar. It's Neiman Marcus. It's Neiman perfect. Marcus. <laughs> so I, I released it, and it was huge success, huge success. And, you know, Neiman Marcus was, was, a, was a great partner yeah. uh, because they believed in it, and they believed in the science. Yes. And so it's it's been, a you know, and you were the first dermatologist to create a skincare line, correct? I don't think I was the first, uh, but certainly what I wanted to do is I really wanted to change the industry. Yes. Because I did these studies, and I did studies over a period of time, even when I was a resident, okay. looking at, you know, all antioxidants are anti-inflammatories. Yes. But not all anti-inflammatories are antioxidants. I love that. You talked okay. about acetaminophen is an anti-inflammatory, but it's not an antioxidant. Not an antioxidant. Yes. So, Looking at that and then looking at ways to stabilize things like vitamin C, I went to fat-soluble vitamin C because it yes. rapidly penetrates the skin, higher concentrations, it's skin-compatible. Why, meanwhile, the acidic form of vitamin C called ascorbic acid is pro-inflammatory. Is it? It just interacts with iron in the skin and causes something called a Fenton reaction, which cre creates hydroxyl radicals. Just topically or internally as well? No, I think topically. Internally, we have mechanisms. Okay, to protect that. but it's better to take a siesta internally as well? I think it's good to do both. Okay. But I love ascorbic acid, and I take a huge amount, especially if I have a cold or something. Okay, okay. Yeah, I good. do too. That's why I was no. asking. No, I was it's like, good. what? Pro-inflammatory? Oh, no. So, you know, so neuropeptides were released, and um, DMA is out there now. So DMA is an amine, okay? Okay. But so I, the next level was, <clears throat> I was kept on looking, always looking for the magic bullet. Anti what's the magic bullet that stops inflammation, that repairs the cells? And so I came across hydrogen water, and I said, this is the magic bullet. That's but then what do I do with skin? I came across and started working with research 
on something called polyamines, okay. which means multiple amines. And they're created by the body. I like to use stuff that we already have in our body because it's physiologic. Yes. That's important because if it's physiologic, and you're using it at reasonable levels, there should be no toxicity. Okay. No, you know, no carcinogenesis, nothing like that. But in addition to that, when you have something that physiologically is present, then you don't end up having the stuff um, stop working. It's called tachyphylaxis. It's, okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's a term doctors use. You take a certain medication or because it's not... It's not natural to the body. So the body starts dealing with it on a cellular level, and all of a sudden it doesn't work. Does but that happen a lot with psoriasis? I hear that from people, that something will work for a while, and then it stops yeah, working. it does. Okay. That's because those, those molecules are foreign to the body, but if they're natural okay. or they're physiologic, natural yes. to the body, yeah. there's no such thing. I mean, if that were the case, then food would stop working, right? Right. <laughs> but it doesn't. And a lot of my stuff was okay. food-grade, what I was okay. doing. Really so no tachyphylaxis, no toxicity, Extremely efficacious. So this polyamine came up. We just released the product about two months ago. And I, don't, I even forgot the name the marketing people gave it to, but it's like... <laughs> Those marketing people. Something brightening, something serum. But the polyamine, I wanted to use polyamine on a jar. I got vetoed. Okay. Yeah. People aren't there yet. Yeah. Although, you know, <clears throat> I do think that what we've noticed and what we've been hearing from a lot of retailers and others is that there's a real swing back to highly clinical in skincare. And I think people are starting to really look for that research and that science behind skincare again, which yeah, is it's about time. Yeah. so great. See, I wanted to change the industry because I did all the science. I saw all of these incredible changes and I did not have any desire to create my own company. Right. I had all this intellectual property. So I actually went to virtually every major skincare company in the world showed them the studies, showed them the effects, and nobody was interested. So finally I was at a very large company, um, great R&D department, and I gave my talk, and then the scientist came over here, and he said, come here, son, and he said, let me clue you in. We're We're putting like oil and water and perfume in a jar and selling it for money, and we make a lot of money, and there's no downside because there are no actives. So don't call us, we'll call you. So I went home and I had this so, crisis moment. What am I going to do? I've been doing this for like 15 years since I was in medical school. I've been everywhere. I've invested so much money in this. I believe in it. I wanted to change the industry. So yeah. instead of being a marketing-based, it was a science-based. And so I made the decision to start my own company. And, of course, I was warned, you can't compete against these big companies. You're crazy. You're going to go under. I said, yeah, but there's a story here, and it really does work. And what really helped was, once again, writing the book, The Wrinkle Cure. Yes. It wasn't the name of the book, by the way. It was um, kind of a long name I was going to use to just to give to dermatologists. And right. a book agent found it and said, oh, no, you're not kidding me. This is going to be great. We just have to change the name. Call it The Wrinkle Cure. And the PBS specials as well. And people tried it. And it doesn't take long if you try it and start seeing different effects. To see results quickly. So I did change the industry in that a lot of it's science, but a lot of it still is science marketing verbiage, but not putting enough actives in there to make a difference. Yes. But the industry has been changed, so I, I accomplished my goal. So, Dr. Perkin, a lot of people um, you know, are telling us what supplements to take, and it's very confusing. And so from your perspective as a nutritionist and, and doctor, what would be the holy grail? What would be the supplements yeah. that we need to take on a daily basis? So really, I would keep it simple. I would say C, um, D, uh, E, um, alpha-lipoic acid, yes. coenzyme Q10. I think those are real basics. Okay. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of others you could take. You know, there is a biochemical individuality we all have, and some people genetically need a lot more of one, some than the other. And if, you know, but if you do the basics, and I think B-complex is an important thing to take too, okay. do the basics. And then if you want to see a naturopath or a nutritionist or something, you really want to up that. Um, and, you know, the, you know the, the jury's still out. I mean, do supplements really help? I think so. I think there's some good data out there yes. that it does help. But, you know, if you can't, really afford them, then you just put that money into your diet. You know, fresh fruits, vegetables, salads with lots of different colors. I call it the, your color IQ. And, right. and the higher the number of colors, the different polyphenols and antioxidants present. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, good, you know, cold water fish. What I love is that you're doing all of this and then you're selling skincare because people know that you know what you're talking about and you're not selling hope in a bottle. You're selling real science. And that's what we should be doing. We're just trying to get people healthy. Well, that's what it sounds like. You know, that's what the focus has always been was to get as many people healthy as possible. 
which is great. Thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you and to finally meet you face to face. We're just um, so happy that you were here and you were talking about all these incredible things. You are the original Total Skin Nerd. You are the OG Total Skin Nerd. I am the nerd, yes. <laughs> and, and thanks again for inviting me. I, I love to get the message out to as many people as we can. Fantastic. It's great meeting all of you here. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. You can learn more about Dr. Paracone's work, innovations, and products at www.paraconehydrogenwater.com. I learned so much from talking with Dr. Paracone. Here are three things I can't stop thinking about. One, more vitamin C. Dr. Paracone makes a compelling case for how vital vitamin C is in combating inflammation. Two, Dr. Paracone's research has been right on and ahead of its time for so long that I can't help but wonder if hydrogen water really might be the next big thing. I'm going to order a case and report back. Three, we know that meditation is so vital, but if it really aids in reducing inflammation, as Dr. Paracone says, I'm going to be sure to double down on my mindfulness practice. To have Dr. Paracone answer your questions about inflammation, follow us and DM us on Instagram at SkinFixInc and watch our feed for his answers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Total Skin Nerds. Please come back next time when our guest will be Dr. Rita Linkner. And please subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. Total Skin Nerds is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn for Freetime Media. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Jonna Schlosser, Catherine Spears, Kara Canning, Jane Meredith, and Megan Collins. And I'm your host, Amy Risley. Till next time, nerds. Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Total Skin Nerds is a podcast created to educate. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice. If you are looking for help with a skin concern, we would encourage you to seek the advice of a board-certified dermatologist, functional medical practitioner, or other qualified healthcare provider. You can find a registry of board-certified dermatologists in the U.S. at find Dash-a-derm.aad.org and in Canada at dermatology.ca. For a registry of qualified functional medical practitioners, you can visit ifm.org. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope that you enjoy listening to Total Skin Nerds as much as we enjoy making it.